Hello, friends, and welcome to the Susquadcast, the podcast all about Camp Susqua. Camp Susqua is a nonprofit Christian camp located in north central Pennsylvania, established in 1947. Our goal is to help every camper, every young person, every family that steps onto our camp to experience their creator. I'm David Vest, and I'm the program director here at Camp Susqua. In this inaugural episode of the podcast, you're going to hear from our executive director, Peter Swift. He's going to share about the history of Camp Susqua, some of its core values that it's had ever since its founding in 1947, and even the story of how he personally came to be the director at Camp Susqua, despite initial resistance. So thanks for joining us around the proverbial campfire. Let's listen in. For our first podcast conversation, we are here with Camp Susqua's director, Peter Swift. And I thought we could start, Peter, by you just sharing some of the history of the the camp. This podcast will mostly go out to probably folks that already have a relationship with Susqua, but if there's anyone who might want to introduce someone to Susqua and share share the, okay, the link I, to this I podcast. I disagree entirely. When people hear that Susqua has a podcast, the listenership is going to be in the... I mean, do they measure it in the millions? Are there Nielsen ratings for... Uh, Especially so, if it's released during prime time. Is that how podcasts work? Is it, right, is it right. During prime times. So, history of Susqua. Um, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Susqua's got a long history, and I am in some way kind of connected to it. Uh, my grandfather, Bob Dittmar, was one of the founders of the camp. And uh, sometimes this sounds like a family story, but it's really – there's so many people involved that even though Bob Dittmar's name comes up over and over – it's in no way the the Bob Dittmar story or, or Bob Dittmar's camp. This is uh, you know, a much bigger story than that. But um, but God did use Bob in a very unique way. Uh, back in the 1940s, he uh, did not go to war. Uh, during World War II, he stayed home for perhaps a variety of reasons. Um, I believe what he would say is that his job was too important because he worked for, uh, at the time, I think it was called Avco Like Cumming which is now then became Textron, then became the Coming Engines, but he was building plane engines for the war effort, essentially. And he was actually on the design team for the world's largest reciprocating engine. So if you want some Chief Bob trivia, hmm. uh, you can look up in the Smithsonian and actually see it. Uh, it never flew uh, because there was the parallel development of jet engines at the time. And oh, wow. Rolls-Royce uh, made jet engines a little more effectively than Avco or could make uh, reciprocating engines. So... Um, there you go. And if you go to, and even today, if you go to like Coming Engines, they've got a little museum with information about it. That's just that's, some bonus history lesson. That's quite the factoid listeners. for staff trivia night. So. Yeah. Well, the, the Like Aroma is what it was called. That's like the, Aroma. Yeah. Just enormous engine. Never really got used, though. But anyhow, so he was, uh, so, that, so that's his reason. He's, he was making plane engines. It could also be he was really short. And I don't know if he would have been drafted. He was, uh, <laughs> he was not a tall man. It's amazing that like Nate Dittmar is as tall as he was because uh, as short as Bob was, Esther was even shorter. Wow. Uh, Esther, I think, was a, a five, four foot ten in heels. Um, but anyhow, all of that is to say Bob didn't go to war. And he noticed that uh, in his church, he noticed there was a, a real need for leadership in the family because um, not only were the you know many of the fathers gone – uh, many of the women were also um, the, the moms had jobs too. All of a sudden, were traditionally in the family back then the, the fathers would work and the mothers stayed home. But in this case, both parents were in almost all families were working um, just because it was necessary. Um, and as a result, there was a lot of uh, just the, the family dynamics were changing pretty rapidly. And Bob saw that there was a lot of skills and qualities that the young men uh, just weren't being taught that he thought were very valuable. Um, so he, they started a youth group at the church, essentially. They started up a youth group and they started doing uh, activities with the young men, uh, taking them on hikes, taking them fishing, to, you know, doing different crafts. Um, interestingly, all these skills that Bob thought were really valuable for these youth to learn, uh, I don't think they were skills that he particularly cared about. <laughs> I don't think he was, <laughs> he, he wasn't, he wasn't a hunter, a fisherman or a particular like outdoorsy person, but like he, 
he saw that, hey, no, this is important for our young men to learn. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to teach it, which I think, you know, is to, to his credit. So he was motivated more by the youth that he saw and, and seeing the needs that they had than the, the actual skills themselves. Yeah, I, I don't think he really wanted to go fishing or backpacking. I think he wanted to take the boys backpacking and fishing. I wow. think that's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, in, in my entire life with him, which granted, I didn't live with him that much. Um, he did take me fishing one time, but it was definitely against his will. He didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that could have just also been because I was a you know, snotty little grandchild and he didn't want to deal with that. Um, but anyhow, so he, he was doing this with the young men in the church and, and he wasn't the only one. There were other men in the church that were doing it too. And uh, eventually they went on a, a backpacking trip. Uh, for a few days up uh, Royal Sock Creek and um, just the, the leaders were overwhelmed by the change that came over the young men as they were on the trail in a way. Not, not only, like even at the beginning, just um, they, these, these men, these young men were, were sharing things with each other and with the leaders that they did not share in church or with their families. Uh, struggles they were having, um, challenges they were facing, and even like big questions about like, you know, who is God and why are we here and what, you know, what is his plan for me? All these. Right. And, and this, this didn't come up. This didn't need prompting from the leaders. This wasn't like the result of a really well done Bible study or devotion or anything like that. This was just. Spontaneous. Uh, yeah. It was just organic. This was, this was the impact that taking youth away from everything they're used to and putting them in the midst of God's creation, it, it, it creates uh, a great opportunity for those things to happen and they were so impressed by this phenomenon that they're like hey we let's let's run it back let's do it again let's do it again and again and again let's see how we can make sure this happens regularly because they they saw the impact and they started a camp and um and that was 1947 they started the camp they actually um they they had this great idea but they didn't have a real good place to do it so um after uh through the connections of raymond palmer um they ended up renting um, Camp Klein, which was a Boy Scout camp mm. up uh, Pine Creek near Jersey Shore. They rented that camp for two weeks uh, that first summer, and I think they had 23 campers. Um, 23. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not not that many. Uh, though, I mean, that's impressive for a first year, sure. I think. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, and they, they were at Camp Klein for several years uh, until, uh, now. now an interesting thing is that Camp Suskel wasn't the only thing growing in like the 1940s. This, in fact, if you if you take you know some sociology class, you'll realize there's a lot there's a rise of a lot of different youth organizations back then because there was it wasn't just Bob that noticed this vacuum in uh, the family and I mean also the rise of youth gangs started around then. Right. Latchkey programs in schools started then because they were very necessary. Uh, the YMCA had a huge resurgence. The Boy Scouts grew dramatically, and uh, we're not the only camp. That started in 1947. There's actually a lot of camps that have a very similar yeah. origin story right around that time. And this was all directly or indirectly the result of World War II. Right, yeah. Because even even after World War II was you know long over, the family structure didn't go back to the way it was. Because I mean, I mean, as horrible as this is to say, a lot of, a lot of the fathers did not come back. Right. And even the ones that came back did not come back. Yeah. You know, they, uh, we, we know a lot more about PTSD now than we did then. But, I mean, there's a reason the stereotype of, like, the the 50s father or the patriarch of the families in the 50s is so um, emotionless and so disconnected from the family. I mean, we have the, you know, the, the, the picture, if you think of a 50s dad, you think of someone who comes home from work, puts their feet up, turns on the TV and, um, and you know, drinks a, a beer or two and then does it all again, but you know, yells at the kids and is not, is emotionally distant. And, right. um, I, I don't think it's that we had bad fathers back then. I just think that we had a lot of people that had seen and dealt with some really horrific things and didn't really know how to handle it. And there weren't the resources and concern for that there is now. And I think people, you know, there's these expectations, that, oh, you're back from war, everything's back to normal, but it, it wasn't. But I mean, to me, that just you know enhanced the need for places like Susquehanna and other camps to uh, to fill that void and uh, really help with that. And, and through the through this process of creating the camp, the uh, Bob and the other founders kind of came up with this idea that uh, we need we want this camp to 
or they, they had these essentially four things that they um, thought were really important. The first one is that of prime importance is who God is. Uh, we want, yeah, we want this camp to be about explaining, introducing campers to their creator, uh, which hasn't changed to this day. That's still, you know, it's still our emphasis. And it's, you know, it's showing, not just showing what God has done and what God can do for you, but really who God is. And through his attributes, through creation, you know, and through God's word, uh, we think that's really important. And the second one is that um, only God can open the hearts of a young man or a young woman. Um, that And that's a, another really important thing I think that affects how we go about evangelism, how we go about sharing God's word is recognizing that we're not trying to change someone's mind. We're trying to present the truth to them and then relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on God to produce that fruit, which is a burden off off of us. Um, and, you know, as a result, Absolutely. it affects our practices. I mean, uh, very practically speaking, we don't do altar calls at Camp Sasqua. Um, we, we don't um, we we don't push for convert. We don't count conversions. I mean, we celebrate them when we hear of a camper that's accepted Christ into their heart. That's exciting. It's wonderful, and we're going to celebrate it. But we also recognize that's not I'm not something we can boast about. That's right. something we can praise God for, and we're excited about it. But we also realize that's not our work that created that. That's that's the work you know because again, only God can open the heart of a young man. And you know, then the next thing was that. They wanted this to be non-denominational. They didn't want to be associated with any single one church. They didn't want to prevent anyone from being able to come, uh, which was a, a really important thing that we've continued to stay independent. There are periods of time where was it was that, hard for Susquehanna to stay independent. But Was that against the grain, you think, of camps at the time? or um, I, don't, I don't know enough about other camps at the time. I do know that non-denominational Christian camps aren't real common. Right. Uh, most of the Christian camps I'm most familiar with are connected with the denomination. Cause, and often run by well, a denomination. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, sounds pretty awesome sometimes. <laughs> there are some attractive some features of to that arrangement. And the marketing power and all those things. That, that does sound pretty amazing in some cases. But I also, you know, I feel like that also gives us the opportunity to, uh, we're, we're going to have a broad community that participates in Susquehanna. I think it's really neat. Even like our board of directors is made up of, you know, I think for uh, maybe two of the members of the board are from the same denomination. For the most part, it's a different church, different denomination for every single one. So um, I think it's really neat that we all come together and agree on Susquehanna's statement of faith and agree on, on these principles. The fourth is really just a, uh, a practical, we actually talked about it indirectly. The fourth is that we're not going to use gimmicks. Mm-hmm. We're not going to use pressure. We're not going to push for a conversion. Uh, right. This is not, uh, and I think that's just kind of the, the practical outworking of the idea that only God can open the boy's heart. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, a, a strange thing is I remember many, many years ago um, when, when my mother, Ann Swift was the director here, one of the directors here, she got a phone call from a parent who was expressing, expressing how much uh, they loved Camp Susquehanna because uh, my kid doesn't get converted every summer at Camp Susquehanna, <laughs> which at first, at, at first like, Oh, uh, that that's not good. But then she realized, Oh, they don't want their kid to get saved every summer because that's not, you know, that that's pressure leading up to that, you know, kind of a false conversion. Yeah. Uh, they want it to be genuine. They want it to be from the heart. They want the camper to learn uh, and and be pursued by God in order to pursue God. Uh, so that's, I mean, that all, all those things were agreed upon. That's what helped start the camp. And, you know, it wasn't long after uh, the camp started, the Boy Scouts were growing, Camp School was growing. Uh, so it was no longer a good match at Camp Klein, and they uh, they were looking for other places to um, to have the camp. And um, in the end, there was a, uh, a gentleman named John Bauer who was a lo- he's actually a, a local philanthropist. That um, there's still like the John Bauer Basketball League is still named after him in Williamsport. Mm-hmm. And his, if you look around Williamsport enough, you see his name on different plaques and things around. And he had a, he had a farm. Uh, here at Camp Susquehanna, and he was uh, uh, one, and apparently one of his goals, even with the farm, was potentially to start some kind of uh, activity for boys' camps. Um, but he was, I guess, stretched too thin, or just decided to divest himself of this farm. They were going to br- actually break it up into into lots to sell different like summer cottages and things like that here. Oh, wow! And Bob found out about it, and uh, they negotiated a purchase price of ten thousand dollars for at the time I think it was ninety acres. Um, maybe 93, I think 93 acres it was. And, um, 
And John Bauer even held a portion of the loan just because I, I don't think there's any bank that would have lent San Francisco money at the time. They had $230 in the treasury. Wow. Uh, but they bought it and then moved to Camp Susquehanna. I think, I want to say 1953 was the first summer that camp happened here at our current location. And that's the current property. Yeah. And at the time, there was just a, there was a farmhouse on the property, which is the old Susquehanna Lodge. Um, you know, not long after that, they built the craft shop, at least the craft shop end of the craft shop wagon wheel office complex. Right. <laughs> And then uh, from then on, they you know slow. They added cabins. Uh, they added platform tents. They added um, you know a wash stand and uh, you know Littleman J area was a relatively early addition. Uh, and then uh, the dining hall, I, I believe, was added in I want to say '68, maybe '64. I'll have to, okay. we'll have to get the fact fact checkers out to check on all this. Where's <laughs> right. our producer with the real data today? Show me. A, did we get a note card? No. Okay. Um. But yeah, the camp continued to grow and grow and grow. And, you know, 23 campers the first summer, we had 14,000 people come through camp this past year in, uh, in 2021. 14,000. So what, what does that number include? Because that wasn't 14,000 summer campers. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that, that's like everyone that has come on camp. Um, that is, you know, all of our campers, which we had more campers in 2021 than any other year. 2022 was close behind, but, uh, you know, 2021 was the highest. Um, but we, I mean, that includes the thousands of people that are here at our Harvest Festival. That includes every retreat that we, every retreat group, all of our uh, field trips, all of our um, winter camps. And I, so, as a result, I mean, sure, like we have a lot of campers that came to multiple camps, so we're probably counting some twice. But right. uh, but still, it, the total like, after our school discovery classes, after our field trips, after our, the various events that we have. It adds up, and uh, every single person that comes on camp has an opportunity to be wowed by God's creation, hmm. uh, just like those you know the campers early on. And we we want we want every person that steps foot on camp to recognize that there is something different about this place. That the staff here uh, are you know loving and hospitable, and they're not doing that because we want to make a bunch of money or have a good reputation. We're doing that because Christ loves us. And we want to we want to pass that on to those that come here. We want them to feel that, and we want. We want the people dropping off our. You know, we want our vendors that are dropping off our food orders to feel loved. We have, we used to have a vendor. Um, they're still around. Thompson's Meats in Jersey Shore. Uh, I know they loved they loved delivering here because they knew you know this was where he was always going to be offered a cup of coffee or a cup mm. of water. You know this is uh, this is a place we we want we want our UPS drivers to feel welcome and loved here. Um, right. Not just not just our campers, not just ourselves. We want everyone to feel that here. And for our listeners who might not be familiar with the property, it's got a lot of advantages, right? Because outside of our our own borders, we have access to... Yeah. Well, not only that, we don't have 93 acres anymore, Dave. We right. actually... Um, okay. We, we lost... Um, lost. I, I don't know how you lose land. Uh, there was a, a, a land swap back in, I don't even know, a long time ago. There was a land swap mm. that allowed us to gain some more acreage in some places, but we gave up some acreage in other places. It involved, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the farm next door, the Clendenins, the High Rock Hunting Club, and the State Game Commission. Um, and it led to just, you know, some changes of the boundaries and all that. And, and I think it also was probably the first real survey that had been done on the property a long yeah. time. I think just getting a survey done also lost us some acres. <laughs> Would have lost that, yeah. Um, and even like even the the creek had changed over the years, like where the creek. So that that ended up adjusting. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but we we have seventy nine acres at our current location right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have another three and a half across fourteen where our sign is. Um, so I guess like our main campus, really, if you want to include those things, it's eighty two and a half. Of course, then you had the Trout Run Metro Campus. <laughs> right. The little strip of land. We have half an acre down in Trout Run proper, right along the creek where we can canoe to, which is really neat. I don't, I don't know if many of our listeners know about that, but that's, yeah, Trout Run has the, the or Camp Susquehanna has a Trout Run Metro Campus. Because downtown Trout Run is known as a bustling metropolis. Thriving, bustling metropolis. I mean, yeah. we, we have a subway now, Dave. A, a subway, that's right, and a that's, fat burger. That's a that's big time. Yeah. And two gas stations. Yeah. And one of them is open till nine, I think. Till nine o'clock. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's serious. That, that's you, a big deal. Might as well call it the big city. <laughs> right. So, then over the years, you know, girls camp was added. At at some point, there's at some, some point. Yeah, we really need fact checkers here on all on all of our facts because 
there's a lot of controversy over whether uh, girls camp started in the late 50s or in the late 60s. Um, I guess there was uh, multiple versions of girls camp and which is official and which isn't is um, really. But the, the thing is, Dave, everybody that was really engaged and involved in that, I think either they're, they've passed away mm-hmm. or they've softened so much over the years that they're not going to be angry if we get that wrong anymore. I hope right. that, that's what I'm hoping for. One can hope. Uh, we have, we have brochures that, that say it started in 1958. And then we have brochures that say it started in 1968. Um, the truth is probably somewhere in between. So know. somewhere in that, that decade. Yeah. But girls camp started and we also started family camps around that time too. Mm. Um, and then uh, I think in 1968 was the first winter blast. Um, was, I hope it was because we celebrated the 50th anniversary of that back in 2018. Mm. Um, so for that math to check out, that had to be 68. Uh, and I think back then, Blast had a broader age range. It wasn't just for college. It was for high school and college, I think. Then we you know, broke it off to okay. threes for high schoolers at some point and so on. Uh, and then it really wasn't until late 80s and early 90s that we really started doing year-round programming, uh, more retreats uh, and, and so forth. And that didn't become an emphasis even until probably the, the mid to late 90s where we really mm. realized, oh, we got to, in order to keep camp running, uh, we have to find ways to get revenue outside of summer camps because we actually just lose money all summer. We need to make money somewhere else. That's when you know retreats and some more so-called off-season programming started and uh, led to some of the you know activities we have today. So the fees that we charge in the summer don't even cover our expenses. I love this topic. It's it's like you're just throwing me softballs. <laughs> this is great. Uh, teeing this one up for me. Um, this yeah, it's it's not. Um, we're not even close to the national averages for the cost of camp. And I mean, partially we couldn't be, we're in North central Pennsylvania. This is, you know, we're not in man, we're not outside of Manhattan. We're not in San Francisco. Uh, costs are of course going to be lower here, but um, the national average for a week of summer camp and Dave, even this is controversial, a week of summer camp. That's what people call it. Only Susquehanna offers a week of summer camp. Only Susquehanna is Saturday to Saturday. Right. Almost every other camp is usually like Sunday night through Friday or some variation thereof. Um, but we, we really find a lot of value in having that entire week and having the opportunity for campers to be here on Sunday morning to experience a Sunday morning worship service. Um, so you're, so right away, you're getting a 15% boost just by coming to Susquehanna. You get <laughs> more value for your money. But uh, national average for a week of summer camp is around $3,000. And that's from the ACA, American Camp Association. They published this data. And I have no idea. I have no doubt that there's some outliers that are throwing this off, uh, probably in both directions, but probably primarily upwards. They're, Pushing the numbers up. Yeah, there are some just amazing camps with like have like Michelin star dining, <laughs> and and uh, you know they're going sailing every day, and they're you know this is for Richard Branson's children and Elon Musk's children, things like that. Um, you know those camps are certainly setting the averages up, but I mean, still three thousand dollars is is um, that's that's the average. Uh, our camp costs. Uh, our campers at the most for if they're paying full price uh, a little over five hundred dollars for mm. a week, um, and that's a lot of money. I mean, I, I have children that attend camp. I understand that's a lot, especially if you have a lot of children that attend camp. That's no small amount of money for sure. Uh, so I don't want to say that this is cheap because it's not. It's 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 a it's a lot of money, but. It gets even worse for Susquehanna though because we don't actually collect five hundred and some dollars per camper. Um, we usually because we offer so many discounts, uh, you know, for those big families or scholarships because we give out around fifty thousand dollars in scholarship money every summer. Uh, our average collection—I uh, haven't done the math for summer twenty twenty two yet, but for twenty twenty one and, and twenty nineteen, our average collection per camper was around three hundred and thirty dollars on a like three twenty three or three twenty six sandwich year, um, and the cost per camper when you consider the expenses of running the camp for the summer is closer to $1,000 a camper. And this year was even higher, closer to $1,200 per camper. Um, so we're collecting $330 per camper and we're paying, you know, well over $1,000 per camper. So yeah, we do, we run the camp at a, uh, we, we, we subsidize every camper that comes here. But the, the beauty of it is we want to make sure camp is accessible to everybody. That's why we, we're glad to offer scholarships. I wish 
I would love if we use up our scholarship fund every year. Uh, and we, and we usually do. And I think that's a, a great thing. We don't want anyone to ever be turned off of Susco because of finances. Um, but at the same time, we, we want to be wise stewards of the resources that God has given us. And, um, so we, we have to find those off season programming opportunities to kind of make up that deficit, not to mention fundraising. Susquare.org slash donate. <laughs> right. So, so what you're saying is our donors are, are what helps sustain our ministry. But uh, before we get too commercial, I thought uh, our Susqua emblem is going to be in the podcast cover art. So, when people download the, the podcast, they're going to see the classic Susqua triangle. But you've mentioned before that, that it's more than, than just a logo. And to someone who hasn't seen it before, it might be a little confusing. Could you talk about where where did that come from and, and what does it mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, question, Dave. We actually, we have a pamphlet that describes us uh, that uh, maybe we can, maybe I can get a PDF of it. Put it in the show notes, perhaps? Show notes, sure. Yeah, it's going to be there. We'll figure out how to do that. We have show notes. It's, oh, it's great. Do, yeah. I, I think we can make that happen. All right. So, we'll, that'll go into some of the more details. But I think the, the crucial thing is when you look at Susquehanna's emblem, uh, and I do like to say that's an emblem and not just a logo, because I, I want this to, to have meaning outside of just that this represents Camp Susquehanna. I, want it, I, I think we want it to represent you know, a greater, a deeper truth. That way, when I'm, I'm wearing my Susquehanna shirt or my Susquehanna hat, which I'm wearing both right now, uh, I'm not just communicating that I like Camp Susquehanna. I'm communicating that I, I love the Lord. And um, the point of the emblem is when you look at the person sitting there, and they're sitting there thinking uh, they're not on the toilet. They're not. I mean, as a kid, that's what I always thought. Someone, the emblem has someone sitting on the toilet. But no, it's a, it's a person sitting there, and you're supposed to see yourself in that person. That person is you. And what are you looking at? Um, you're looking at God's creation. You're looking across and you're seeing that scarlet oak leaf and the acorns and you're seeing that, you know, that's, that's God's creation. And between you and God's creation, you have this amazing cross that is the filter by which we can see God's creation because we get to enjoy it and benefit from it because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But even, even the emblem is to speak to uh, who God is through his creation and who, what he has done for us through the work of Christ uh, and then we can, you know, we can go even further into the Trinity with the, the, the triangle is to represent the Trinity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, in the pamphlet, it even gets into each, like what you should think of when you look at the right side of the triangle or the left side or the bottom of the triangle. Those each have uh, portions that are represented as well. But the, the primary thing is you want to look and you want to see you, you want to see God's creation, and you want to see Jesus. And you want to see the connection between those things. And that's really what Susco is all about. I mean, we want to introduce campers to their creator so that they want a relationship with Jesus. I'm hearing a lot of repeated themes from our earlier conversation about everything that the founders wanted and, and what they were well, committed to. They came up with the emblem for that reason. I, I don't know Bob Christensen. I just know a little bit about him. Uh, but I know he and Bob worked together to create the emblem. And I believe Bob's father uh, carved the emblem that, is on the you know above the um, fireplace in the dining hall, uh, and that was our our first real emblem, and mm. it's still there. Uh, it has gone through a few changes since then. Uh, we lengthened the shorts of the boys, um, <laughs> like uh, the boy and the emblem. Like so, if you look at a modern day version of it, they're going to be they're not going to be some uh, tight short shorts. Fashion has changed a little bit since it was originally but you can't really created. reverse carve things dave you can't you can't put the wood <laughs> can't put the wood back there it'd, it'd look weird but uh but yeah we've changed that and we've uh and we've also made a lot of alternatives we have a separate girls camp emblem as well which has the same themes the same focus but we just you know again if, if you're looking at the emblem and you see you we want it to be relatable too and specific we also mm -hmm. yeah and then we also make season specific ones we've got the the Trek emblem, we've got the Trail Run emblem, we've got the Winter Camp emblem, uh, we've got our bee, you know, a honeybee emblem, right. we've got our, you know, we've got a variety of different emblems. Um, so I think it's, we often use the emblem as a logo, but really it is supposed to be emblematic of what Susquehanna is about, not just, hey, here's, this is to remind you of a brand or something like that. And, uh, I mean, you can use emblem and logo interchangeably, I think, a lot. But I do I do think uh, it's nice to think that our emblem has meaning beyond 
just referring to Sasquatch refers to the Almighty. So you've mentioned a couple times that your grandfather was one of the founders. Mm. So are you here just as an heir to the throne? This this was uh, always your your plan, wasn't it? You you just schemed your way into serving as director. It gets worse and worse, Dave. Not only was my grandfather one of the founders, my parents were the directors in the 90s uh, for, I think, 12 years. I want to say 94 to 2006. Uh, And my mother came back and filled in from time to time after that a little bit. Um, I mean, I served on staff for a long time. I was on the board of directors. I mean, I stacked the board, too, because my Uncle Bill was on the board at one (laughs) point. This is nepotism. A lot of political honest. maneuvering. Yeah, this is. Um, no, yeah, it's 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 actually. I, I get a little, and, and now and my brother is the director of operations here, <laughs> Davis. Uh, but it, it is. Um, it's it's kind of funny to think I, Davis and I actually both get pretty defensive about this because we don't want this to be about our family. We don't want this to be like the, the family business, even though it really does from outward appearances often seem that may way. May appear that way. Um, but there, there have been a number of other directors that have had, uh, he, I mean, obviously Bob was the founding director and he, and he served as the director essentially through the eighties. Um, so, I mean, for, 40 plus years of him serving as director, that's, that's very impactful. It's, uh, and then there was a series of years starting kind of in the late 80s, early 90s, where um, the board and Bob, I mean, Bob was seeking to retire. He needed to. He was, um, he was getting sure. up to an age. And um, there was a number of directors that, for one reason or the other, it didn't work out. We started with a number of assistant directors that the idea was to they would work alongside Bob and become the director. Um, then we hired, we hired a couple of full-time camp directors um, that lasted, you know, a year or two each time. And... Uh, then in 94, uh, my parents were hired as co-directors, um, and they, uh, I think the, the camp was really struggling at that point, and it was uh, partially, like, well, it was hire Ann and Dave because they would be really the ones in good position to figure out what to do if we have to shut down and close, but they, you know, scraped and clawed and um, managed to grow the camp and um keep the foundation solid underneath it uh, during some time. So they were hired with the expectation that they might have to be the ones to bury Camp Susquehanna, yeah, as it were. I mean, that sounds, uh, that's probably a little more negative than it was probably expressed at the time, but that was certainly a strong possible. I know my parents went into it thinking that this might be, uh, that might be part of their role. Um, and, and I mean, the camp was, I mean, enrollment was very low. Um, Funding for the camp was very low. When, when I think of what they accomplished, um, I mean, sometimes I, I look back at the growth of the last few years. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But the resources that we have now compared to the resources that Dave and Ann had when they were directors in the 90s, what they accomplished is really astonishing. Um, the Just the, the growth of the camp and um, the, the staff, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a full-time staff back then. There was the directors and there was the caretaker. And that was that was it. Um, and, and having two directors, that was even kind of new. We, and we, you know, we had a, we had a registrar part-time and, um, and then they added on a few, you know, a few more part-time, but then they were the first ones to hire a, a full-time program director. That was in 99, I think with Bill, um, Bill Cleese. Uh, and then we just, you know, been on this, uh, you know, a little up and down here and there, but, uh, really growing the camp into what it is today. Um, but as far as my part to play in it, I, I did not want to be director. Uh, I loved Susquehanna. I was a camper as long as I could be a camper. I served on staff until I got married um, and had to go and get a, a so-called real job. <laughs> um, and I, I loved, I mean, I loved serving on staff. I loved camp. And it wasn't long after I got married that I was invited to join the board of directors. And I loved serving on the board. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people don't look forward to meetings, but I, I love board meetings. I loved it when I was on the board. I love them now as director. Uh, getting to, you know getting together with like these wonderful people that love Susquehanna and you get to talk to them about Susquehanna that's that's like my dream um, but I really I loved camp but I I, I never really wanted to serve here full time um, I, I really appreciate when Mike Myosi was hired uh, and made our job on the board so easy because Mike was just man he knew how to um, he knew how to get to the heart of a matter really quickly he was great at like recognizing where relationships were broken and knew exactly how to you know work towards mending them. Uh, he was such a the spiritual leader of camp and the uh, really 
even coming from outside, he was so quickly the heart and soul of camp in such an amazing way. It's just um, really incredible what he, what he was able to do. And Because he was a hire that had no familiarity with Susquo before the his hiring process. His time at Susquo on the property was when he was being interviewed by the board. Um, he, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a step of faith on both sides, both for him to come up here with his family but also for Susquehanna, uh, the board to, you know, have the courage to hire someone that was in some ways a little bit of unknown and have a good plan to figure out how to support him and, and move forward. And I think, um, you know, there were some, some hard years and challenging years prior to Mike, uh, between my parents and Mike, that um, the board learned a lot and I think had a much better plan going into how to support someone coming in. And I think that was really a good thing. Like, So you can even see the way God worked and prepared through some of the challenges camp went through so that, you know, Mike could have the success that he did. Uh, and Mike was, he served here for um, seven or eight summers. I, I don't remember. I should know this. Right. I don't know. He served here for a while. I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit past him now. I don't know by I, how much. I think it was seven. Today. Seven summers. Yeah. Okay. This got, is where our producers should yeah, be checking the, they should, we should the facts here. Soon. Um, but, uh, Anyhow, he uh, and he he just did a phenomenal job. Camp grew. We also camp became more financially stable during his, under his tenure. Uh, I remember when I was on the board. I argued against having a banquet one year because uh, they had started running these banquets, and each year the banquet was like Susquehanna was real, in real trouble. We need, really need money. Things are really bad, and and you know the community would respond, and 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 the banquet was amazing. And, and I remember telling Mike and, and our director of development, Amy, um, now Amy Rinkamp, then Amy Smith. I remember saying, I don't think we should do the banquet every year. I think you're going to get donor fatigue. I think people are going to be really tired of this, like you know, crisis to crisis story. Like, what is you know? I, I really, and they like smiled and nodded and accepted my suggestion, um, and then like you know, filed it away with its level of importance. And then they held the banquet that year, and that was the year we went from like thirty thousand dollars raised to like fifty thousand dollars raised. And I was like, <laughs> "Glad you guys didn't listen to me. <laughs> Good job." I was uh, very happy to to be wrong about that, um, and, and the banquet has only continued to grow since then. Um, but it's anyhow, Mike um, Mike did just a phenomenal job, and he came and talked to me one time to tell me that he was um, he was going to resign. And I, we'd seen this coming. He was, um, he was, he was bivocational at the time. He'd started full time. He's full time here at Susquehanna and also a full time pastor at a local church. And that's just not sustainable. Um, his family was also building a house in Hughesville. And, uh, I mean, that should be, uh, a seems a conspicuous that, tell uh, that there was a plan to move off camp and 45 minutes away. That should be a, a sign, but still it was a, not welcome news for me as a board member, uh, but we had, we were getting coffee together at Alabaster and we were getting coffee and Mike, Mike told me that he was planning to resign. Um, and he said it was, it'd been laid on his heart that he thought I should, uh, pursue the job in his place. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I almost laughed at him. I, I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and he's like, no, Peter, I really, you know, I, I feel really strongly about this. I think, um, you have some, like camp has grown to a certain a uh, certain place where it's uh, suddenly I don't really have the skills that are necessary to continue this growth because there's a lot of administrative skills I just don't feel like I'm up for. And I'm like, no, no, Mike, you're good. You can keep doing it. It's, it you're really doing a great job. But he but he was he was convinced he was leaving. And, and he's like, Peter, I see that you have some of these financial management skills. You have some of these other skills I think Susquehanna really need. Uh, and I was like, thanks, Mike. I'm really honored that you would think that. I was, you know, I, I was really pleased to hear him say that. Um, but I said, I'm, I'm really, I'm not interested. I'm not, it's just not the job for me. Um, and he said, why? And I'm like, well, Mike, I'm, I'm on the board. I, I know what we pay you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. I'm just really not interested in that. I've, I've uh, become accustomed to a certain lifestyle uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> but it, it, I, you know, I had a, a house with a mortgage and we're, um, we just had these twin daughters and I just, it, it wasn't in the cards. I wasn't interested. Not to mention, um, I, I'd had a front row seat to how demanding the job can be. Uh, I'd, I'd seen my parents really, um, you know, really give up a lot in order to, to have the job because they were, you, I, I think for this job, you, you gotta be all in. You, you can't, 
um, it's got to be, it, it's a lifestyle change. It's not just an employment change. It's, it's really a, an all or nothing sort of thing. Um, you know, although HR people listening can determine whether that's a healthy thing or not. Uh, but I think that, you know, I just, I just wasn't interested in that. Um, and I, I told Mike that and he said, well, I think you should pray about it because this is really, this is really on my heart. I really think this would be a good, good fit. And I said, sure, I'll pray about it. Uh, I, spoiler alert, I did not pray about it. I did not <laughs> even think about it. I moved on um, mentally and moved, you know, went back to work after, after we had coffee and continued about my life for a couple of weeks until he's, you know, until we were scheduled to get coffee again. Uh, and we got together for coffee and Mike's like, so what do you think? And I very foolishly said, about what? And, <laughs> And Mike's like, well, about the job, about being being camp director and applying for this job. And I said, oh, right, that. Yeah, no, still a hard no, Mike, just not not interested. He's like, well, why not? I'm like, well, all the same reasons I told you before. But I'm like, Mike, don't don't worry about this. I'll help you find a new director. Like, the, God will provide for camp. Don't worry. Like, we we've got this. We've got you know. And 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 Mike, I'm still going to be involved. I'll I'll support the next director too. I'll be <laughs> like, this will be fine. And Mike's like, what? I, and he, he got kind of angry at me. Um, I hadn't seen his temper before. Um, and he was a little frustrated at me because uh, he, he correctly identified that I had disrespected him by not taking him seriously to even pray about this. Like, how, you know, how hard would it have been for me to pray about this and at least, like, you know, honor his request, even if I thought it was uh, meaningless? Did he know you hadn't even prayed about yeah, it? No, he and, sussed that out immediately. Yeah. Like, he, he, like he, and he kind of said, I can't believe you didn't even pray about this, Peter. Like, and that hurt to hear that because I, I had hurt him and I realized it like very, very quickly that I'd, uh, and I, I had no excuse for it either. It was just, I, I was selfish and I, I was thoughtless and, you know, as I typically am. <laughs> and, um, and he, and he recognized that and he, he uh, he got, he showed a little bit of frustration with me and, um, and I, I apologized to him. I said, Hey Mike, I, I'll pray about it. If it'll make you happy. I'll pray about it. It's not going to change anything, <laughs> but I'll pray <laughs> about it. Like I already know what God wants for my life and it's not this is what I was saying. Um, but Mike, Mike said, thank you. I, I you, please pray about it. Cause I feel very strongly about this. I put a lot of thought into it. Um, and I really think, you know, you should, you should pursue this. Now, what I don't know is how many other people he was telling this to. Not just kidding. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, I hope no. Right. I don't know. But uh, but I went home that night and uh, I talked to my wife about it for the first time. Um, and I said, "Hey, you know," I would, but I, I did it. I did it not to bring it up as a discussion. I did it more just to tell her how my day went. Like, oh yeah, I met with Mike. By the way, he's resigning. Oh, and get this, he thinks I should be the next director. Don't worry, I told him no. Um, and I made sure I spat out the don't worry, I told him no as quickly as possible because I didn't want Lindsay to get any any idea that I was even considering this job. Because uh, um, if our listeners don't know, uh, this is a, a true confession moment in time. Um, I'm married outside of the Susquehanna. Um, this brought great shame to my family. <laughs> um, but Lindsay is – she's a Susquehanna girl now, but she wasn't. Uh, she had only been to Susquehanna to a blast – which can be intimidating for someone entering oh, into the culture and big having time. Yeah. And, not had those experiences. And I'd kind of always had, you know, my, my wife didn't really camp growing up. She's not really an outdoors outdoorsy person. Well, she wasn't. Um, and the idea of doing anything at Susquehanna, I thought, I really thought even just the concept of being more involved at Susquehanna would be like just absolutely distasteful to her. Um, I, I had the impression that she always thought of Susquehanna as like, oh, that's Peter's thing that he likes, and, and I'm okay with it. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, I told her, don't worry. I told him no. I, I, you know, I, I, I told Mike no, no chance. And Lindsay said, you told him what? And then for the second time that day, someone lost their temper at me, um, and she, she's like, well, why? Why would you say no? Why wouldn't we even talk about this? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, here's what it pays. We have this house. Those two things can't go together. And then she's like, oh, do you think God won't provide for us if you took a job in ministry? 
Which that's like a, a punch in the gut. <laughs> Isn't that a slap in the face? Yeah. That's not like, well, no, obviously he'll provide for us. And then she's like, well, didn't, did God stop providing for your parents and their family when they went to work at Susquehanna? Well, no. I mean, God still provided for us. Didn't your father leave like a really good job to work full time at Susquehanna? Did, did God not like provide for? Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> she that... showed you no mercy. <laughs> oh no! It, like, didn't as a child, didn't you enjoy growing up at Susquehanna and being involved there? You don't think that would be good for our children? And like, I'm just like <laughs> stammering. Like, why? Well, I, I, sure, I guess it would be. It's well, then why don't you want to work at Susquehanna? And like, it just kept coming back to the same argument over and over. And we, we argued for a while. We were in our kitchen uh, in our house and we we're just sitting there arguing about this. And and she finally said, since when do you care so much about money? Mm. And if it wasn't like a punch in the gut before, it was right then. Because like, it, it's like all of a sudden it was like crystal clear to me that like I had fallen prey to that same idol that like Jesus talks about more than anything else. Uh, I mean, that's like the most common topic that, that Jesus has in the New Testament is the dangers of money and the love of money. And um, and I don't know if I had like was in love with money, but in love with security and in love with providing for myself. And maybe my idol was really fear, not so much money, but still sure. there was idolatry big time that was exposed in that moment. And it would, suddenly it was like a little clearer that, well, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. Like maybe we can start talking about this. And, um, and I, it took breaking down that idol though for that to even be like a consideration. And once, like once we, and I'm not saying that like Lindsay's like gung ho. Yeah. You should definitely be direct. She wasn't, she, but she was like, she couldn't believe that I had dismissed it out of hand. And that, and of course as, you know, all major decision should be always be discussed or even major non-decision should be discussed uh, as a couple. And I had failed on that count too. Um, but anyhow, she was, you know, very gracious. We started talking about it more uh, and, and we started praying about it, uh, genuinely praying about it together. Every night we, we pray about it and, um, and it became not such a bad idea to us over, you know, over time. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a home run idea, but I went back to Mike and I said, okay, Mike, you got me. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I'm not in, I'm not even close to being in, but I'm thinking about it. You know, what do we, where do we go from here? And Mike's like, okay, well, I'm going to give my notice. It's going to be six months. Um, and we need to start like, you know, thinking through this. And he said, and he, he gave me some instructions. He's like, don't, don't just look for God's open doors. Also look for closed doors. It's really, cause I, I'm not one to, um, you know, Mike is very, Mike is so thoughtful and so, mm -hmm. um, I think he recognizes the promptings of the spirit through God's word so clearly and so, uh, so ably that he's really, it's, it's an amazing thing. Uh, he's very sensitive in that way. And I'm, I need to be hit over the head with a two by four repeatedly. Um, and so I was going to Mike for you know advice like what how do I how do I seek God's will how do I discern God's will for my life in this and he he su suggested like you know don't just look for open doors look for closed doors as well and so uh, we started you know Lindsay and I started thinking through this we we made like you know pros and cons lists we um, and I even you know the, the company I was working for right then it was a dream job it was a, a company I loved uh, I still love to this day it's a really neat company that was selling outdoorsy equipment to, you know, camps and to, uh, to retailers. And it was a really cool job. I mean, I'm obsessed with Nalgene bottles and socks and like, I got to be surrounded by Nalgene bottles, socks and headlamps and all my favorite obsessions all day long. And yet you did not consider it a stepping stone into camp ministry. No, I, it hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, clearly, you know, a connection there. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say as much as I love the company and love the industry, my current role there, I wasn't as in love with. And I thought, um, I, I didn't think my skills were being utilized to the best of their abilities. Uh, I enjoyed the job. It was challenging and it was rewarding. Um, it was a good job. But um, so we made, uh, Lindsay, I made a list of like, what would I like my job at this company to be uh, if it was like my, my dream? Oh, so we made this list and by God's providence, no doubt, I was back out in, in Utah where our headquarters were meeting with, um, you know, meeting with some of the managers, doing some trainings. 
And uh, as it often was without we would go out there, we, we went climbing. And the, the CEO of the company and I went rock climbing together. And we ended up in the parking lot um, just outside of Will Cottonwood Canyon um, at, the, at the end of our, our day, just the two of us. So I laid it out there for him. I, I, I told him, hey, I, I, don't, I don't think you're maximizing your use of me. I think here's some ways we could do things better. Um, and I, 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 you know, I had a good cogent argument for all of these things. And I, and I said, here's what my title should be. Here's what my pay should be. Here's what my responsibility should be. What do you think? I just, it was bold. I, it was, I, I laid it out there. And he, he like took a beat and was like, yeah, I, I think you're right. I agree. I think this is all a really good idea. Um, we could make this happen. You're going to move to Utah, though. <laughs> Oof. And I'm like, <laughs> slammed shut. Like, that door just, like, closed <laughs> in a hurry. I, I had no interest in moving to Utah. I just, uh, I love Pennsylvania. I love this area. And I, I couldn't imagine being away from Susquehanna even. Um, and I think that, like, to me, from that, from that moment forward, uh, I was really, like, kind of just full steam ahead toward being director. And, and it wasn't like, even then it wasn't a, a done deal. We still had, um, I was not the only candidate. Uh, I, and I know we had other, you know, very qualified candidates too. I mean, there's no doubt. I, I don't, I'm not kidding anyone. I had the inside track. I was, you know, I'd been on the sure. board. I was a known entity. I was grandson of the founder. <laughs> I had all those, you know, there's a lot of those benefits, but it, it was still, I mean, it was, I think the board had a challenging decision in front of them and and we'd also had some challenges in the past when we went with the, with the inside man, and it wasn't always the the best way to go. And after success of Mike, I mean, there's certainly a lot of a, attraction to going with someone from outside. And um, I'd never directed a camp before, and you know, we had again, we had a lot of other candidates that were uh, were very qualified. Um, and uh, I do remember though, like slight the the day before the board meeting, which I'd be interviewed because I had to drop off the board even to apply. Um, the day before that board meeting, one of our board members called me. Someone I'd known since I was just a little kid, and uh, and she, uh, she she she's like she, she's just as perceptive as you, Dave. Uh, she said, "Peter, has this been your plan all your life?" I'm like, "What?" She's like, "Is it your plan? Is this why you like you know went to a college in Pennsylvania so you could stay engaged with Susquehanna? Is this why you you know got a job working in this like outdoor industry locally and and stayed stayed close and so you could." Is this why you got this job that built up all these new skills that you didn't have before and kept you in connection with all these other camps? And was, was this all just part of your plan to eventually become director? And it was it was really amazing because like as soon as she said that, I could see this like funnel in, of my life. Like my my life was funneling in, in one direction and one direction only. It was to here, um, but I couldn't see that beforehand. And, and I realized like no, it wasn't part of my plan. But it was like then that like I, I got a little glimpse of like God's plan for my life, uh, that the, God had, had been preparing me for this work. And uh, that gave me a lot of confidence moving into this job too, like just, just, just to recognize that this is not happenstance. This is not just a, a wild idea. There's there's a lot of, um, you know, God was working behind the scenes in so many ways uh, to prepare me for this. And I'm really you know grateful for that. And it's amazing to me too. Like, you know, I, I was offered the job. We took it. Uh, we started, a, you know, a couple months after I'd been offered the job. And, um, I mean, every year since then has been like the best year of my life. And, uh, even the financial aspect of it has never been a challenge that we've never wanted for anything. And not only that, I mean, this is, this is more insight into the bad communication of my marriage. Um, but like, <laughs> it should have been obvious, you know, like when, when Lindsay and I got married, I think there's this idea that um, – because some of my friends tell me that I did have aspirations of becoming camp director that I shared with them when I was a teenager. I don't remember this, but enough of them have told me this that I take their word for it. Um, so they had actually warned Lindsay uh, that, hey, if you marry Peter, you're going to end up at Susquehanna someday. But see, I went into the marriage with the opposite impression. I went into the marriage thinking, well, if I marry Lindsay – Obviously, I'm never going to work at camp. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like, I'm putting this aside for the, you know, because I, I love her so much and that's just not, um, so that, you know, we're married for eight years before, <laughs> before we ever have a conversation about it and realized that she had come, like I had put the idea of Susquehanna completely out of my mind. But meanwhile, Lindsay was just kind of waiting for that shoe to drop and like, not just like became okay with it, but it, she started to like that idea. Um, but the other thing too is like back when in my previous career, a common 
point of tension and contention in our marriage and in our life was was financial matters, mm. which is only common to every married right. couple for all of eternity. That's that's like the number one most common cause of marital strife is is financial matters. Dave Ramsey will tell you that, and everybody else will. Um, but and we did we we were not immune to that. That was a common uh, discussion point, but. What's amazing to me is since we moved up here and what's, since we've been camp directors, it, it's just not. We just don't argue about – it just doesn't come up. It's it's amazing. That's the, amazing. The change has, has happened and um, and God has been so good in, in providing for us and for camp. That it's um, – I've, I've never felt like it was even it, – it, it, moving into it, I thought this was going to be some big sacrifice that I'm making, but it wasn't. It was uh, so, so rewarding. Um, even when I think about the job I had before, like one of the things that, you know, this person on the phone told me about, I was like, you know, and you're, you know, in my previous job, I was working primarily with like 16, 24 year olds, um, which I, now I am too, uh, which seems relevant for what you're doing yeah, here. Yeah, at, I, was, at I was managing them, you know, large teams of them. And, uh, you know, and, and it was also very seasonal. It was highly seasonal business at the camping industry. Um, so you know, no, no different than now. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed is that in my previous job, I worked with a lot of broken people. Um, yeah, I, I managed a warehouse. Um, we were, you know, in, in operations for this big distributor. I was managing the warehouse, and uh, a lot of the employees that we had. Um, this was the, you know, so a lot of the employees were college students. This is a temporary thing. They're they're moving on to something bigger and better. But a lot of the employees we had were also, you know, they're they're single moms that really had some challenges and the struggles in their lives. And there's other. Some other people that maybe had made some mistakes that this was the only job they could get. And um, I worked with a lot of people that really had some serious, uh, serious brokenness in their lives. And I, I knew the solution to that brokenness in their lives. It's, you know, it's, it's God's word and it's Jesus. That, that's what they needed most of all. They, and they needed a loving community of a church to surround them. They needed uh, the loving arms of Jesus to surround them. They needed all these things that... Um, that I couldn't offer them, I was giving them a job. But not only that, I had to be careful in, in, in the manner in which I would even interact with them about my faith. My faith was known to the employees that w- worked with me. Um, it was known that I was a Christian, but I did not come, as- come alongside them and pray with them, uh, partially because mm. I was always concerned about protecting the company. I didn't want to put sure. the company at risk. Yeah. Uh, and the transition of coming to Susquehanna when I'm still working with, you know, 16 to 24 year olds for the most part and seeing lots of brokenness, um, not, not just, I don't, I don't just mean that our staff, but even our, the campers, anyone that comes through, you see these things and you know the solution. But here, the best way I can protect the company is to make sure I'm praying with them and talking to them about who God is. And it's such a neat contrast for me that I just really, you know, appreciate it. It makes, you know, give me a lot of confidence. It's a good decision. Um, and I've been here for eight years now. It's just been phenomenal. So now sharing the gospel and investing in young people is part of the job rather than... It's, it's a job requirement, not a threat to the company. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, this is, that's mandatory. That's, that's in my job description. Um, it's not like the no-no that you get from the HR department about, you know, maybe you shouldn't talk about this at, at work. You know, save this for after work or whatever. Yeah. What a privilege. So we are already nearing the hour mark of our conversation. I I know we have much more we can talk about, but I, I think for now we can wrap up just by doing some thankfuls. So many of our listeners will know that every evening our support staff meets to share something they're thankful for. So Peter, I wanted to know, what are you thankful for today? Yeah, it's going to sound really lame in light of other thankfuls that our listeners will hear. Uh, but we had a visitor today here at Susquehanna Mikowski. Bi- for, for our listeners, big Dan Mikowski, not little Dan. Mm-hmm. Not that little Dan is little, but uh, just uh, we're talking about Dan Mikowski Sr. Except he's not really senior because Dan Mikowski. The, the uncle. Nephew, uncle. The, Dan, the elder. Uh, yeah. The elder Dan Mikowski, the, the OG Dan Mikowski. Uh, he visited today, uh, coming in all the way from Montana, just to be as part of this prod- podcast, I, I have no doubt. Um. I hope we don't have to reimburse his plane tickets or something. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I was just really thankful to see Dan and Barb here. Uh, Dan and Barb were uh, 
board members and program directors and everything else that you could be here at camp back in uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And I have very fond memories of, of Dan. Um, actually, remember, he and Kelly Nolder would, would chase me and my siblings and friends around and would play uh, Big Bad Wolf with them. And I always looked, even as a kid, I looked forward to board meetings because I meant Dan Mikowski was coming. And um, I, I really looked forward to the day because I knew Dan Mikowski was coming and getting to walk walk around mm-hmm. camp with him was uh, just a real privilege. So I'm thankful that he visited. That's great. So, Dave, what are you thankful for? Now you've had some time. I am thankful. I am thankful that our our podcast recording setup, for which this is, you know, the inaugural episode, we managed to to get it recorded. I think the the little red dot on the recorder is illuminated so i think that means it's working and, and dave if this is not recorded no one but us will ever know that, that's this, right this will this won't leave these four walls this, that's, this is a so this right. mistake will never find out the light of day that's, unless it is recorded that's how i like my failure totally swept under the rug <laughs> so well thanks again for sharing today Chief Peter, make sure you're subscribed in your favorite podcast app, and we'll catch you next time around the proverbial campfire. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever.